Welcome to the Crash Cards Podcast. New week. I probably peaked the mic already. Um, oh, you did. <laughs> I'm sure I did. And how. Yay, he peaked. Uh, and how I can just plateau the rest of my life. Yes. Um, but once you reach the top, man, I mean, there's nowhere else but down. Yo, it's not that symbolic, guys. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome to the Crash Cards Podcast. Um, we're here again. Yeah. yeah. This uh, this past weekend, I got to uh, go to Epic when Burlesque does Burlesque the Musical, which was a collection of musical numbers of different shapes and sizes. Um, it was hosted by Chef of the Dark Lord and Nelson Lugo, former guest of the podcast. And the Burlesque stars were different shapes and sizes. Uh, they... You weren't even at the show. <laughs> Shut your face. Um, in fact, our guest next week is going to be Hazel he, Honeysuckle. He who did perform uh, at that show. She sang A Spoonful of Sugar while stripping out of her Mary Poppins outfit. Did uh, she have an umbrella? Yep. Did so, she have a bag? Yep. Did she pull out sugar? Yep. Every time I hear Spoonful <laughs> of Sugar, I, I just think, possum. That's Def Leppard. I know, song. I know. Completely <laughs> different song. But um, now that is linked to Mary Poppins as well. The, uh, the show was a lot of fun, though. I did get to catch up with Nelson and Schaefer, and uh, they do want to do some crossover, which we're going to hopefully try and work out later this year. And they said something. They were thoroughly surprised that we're able to keep this up every week. Yeah, because they only do it <laughs> once every month or so, so they were quite impressed with our weekly our, our weekly stamina, I guess we could say. Apparently we're beasting it in, in podcast land. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Also, uh, fans of Little Shop of Horror, Shift of the Dark Lord, um, who apparently, that's his favorite musical, did his own version of He'll Be a Dentist, inserting his own rap in the middle of the song, which actually worked very well. Um, but all in all, the show was a lot of fun, and it was very good. I'm hoping to do an article about it in the next two weeks, if I don't get lazy. It seems like Suddenly Seymour would be a better song for burlesque. <laughs> Steve pictured it, huh? <laughs> and then on Sunday, um, uh, Nasty Canasta's birthday was uh, this past week, so they had a birthday show, the Wasabasco Orgy, which I worked, I did sound for, and uh, I got to catch up with Keita St. Cyr, who still wants to come on the podcast and bring us the joy of J-pop. So we're hoping to work that out for towards the end of March. Which is great, because then I don't have to bring J-pop to the show. Because uh, while I do know some of it, I am by far not versed in it. No, she, yeah, she is very versed yeah. in it. They debuted a number at the show on Sunday of her and Evelyn Vinyl pretty much dancing around wearing animal ears to a very J-pop song. It was interesting and very funny. J-pop is a vast genre, which we haven't even touched. No, not so, even a little bit. And then this week, I've actually been listening to a lot of Take the Crown by Robbie Williams. I still very much enjoy it. Um, I, I have to admit, I did listen to it again. And while I still think it is the pinnacle of pop, I think that's probably the reason why I went back to it. Yeah. It, it was, it still, still makes me laugh. Yeah. It's a fun is, record. It is self aware pop, it is meta pop. 
Metapop. It is, it is it's Metapop. It's own new genre. We are calling it Metapop. Met- metapop. That's on the record. Pop okay. Noir. It actually kind of sounds like a label. Metapop. Metapop. It might be. Should be. Let's start it, guys. Let's start, Spe- let's start our own label. Huh? Speaking of pop, I've been uh, coming up with a new idea, which I may bring to the show if I flush it out uh, properly. I'm, I'm, I've been looking to the top 40 of what's actually popular on uh, like Billboard or for downloads in iTunes. And I've been listening to all these various... <sighs> They're not always good. <laughs> Nicki Minaj, Ugh. Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber. Kesha. Kesha. I mean, I've been listening to a lot of pop because we rag on it all the time. We rag on this new style. So we're concerned about uh, ragging unwarrantedly. So John, so, wants, well, John wants to verify his claims. Yes, I'm taking one for the team. And I will be presenting this at least on the website. Of why people like terrible songs. I'm going to try to break down why they actually find these very repetitive songs good. So you would be talking about its benefits to them? I'm going to mostly be (laughs) pointing out the drawbacks. Okay, the drawbacks, but the things that are... Why they like it and why they shouldn't. I think I'm going to really break it down as... So let's just get it all on the table. This is going to be preachy. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to get up on my high horse. On on your your soapbox, yeah. My there's, various things there's that There's room raise you. for both fact and opinion. Yes, I'm going to start website, with the facts. So. I'm going to start with the facts, and then I'm going to go into the opinions why the facts are wrong. Oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be upfront about attention it. Attention is attention. Uh, no, I'm going to be upfront about it and explain why I do not feel these are good songs. Well, here's a contention on a totally unrelated topic. I think Ben Hur is awesome. He's been talking about Ben Hur <laughs> so much. Okay, I watched Ben Hur this week, but. I've watched Ben-Hur a long time ago, and everyone should see Ben-Hur at least one point in their life. It's a very influential movie for cinema, and I don't just mean the chariot race scene. I just don't just mean all the other uh, major action sequences that have influenced films the last 50 years. I mean the soundtrack. You know, guys, do you know that is the longest film score ever written at a whopping 2 hours and 33 minutes? It's the entire moment. length of the movie. Uh, actually... Actually, yeah, the movie is about that long, but they did cut some of it, so I think it was brought down a little bit from the full. Well, between, they did between the chariots and everything like that, it there are words being said, and you can't just have music drowning it out. But it does get spliced up and repeat. It's not as if like you. It's not as if you could just take the album that was released, the OST, and just play it right over the movie and be perfect. It was. Right. It was spliced. It was. This is not around. Wizard of Oz, Dark of the Moon. When but did I'm just uh, you, this is this is. Where John Williams got a lot of his ideas, I'm telling you. When did Ben-Hur come out? Do you remember? 1959. And do you know who did the soundtrack? Miklos Russia, something like that. Okay. It's, uh... Slavic? Yes. Russian? Obviously. I'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> Foreign. Yeah, from from, or, from over, Americans over, think over anything that's not American is foreign. Well, no, it's actually it's, before American composers started to gain notoriety in music. It's on uh, the other side movies. of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter which one; it's one of them. One of them. Yeah. Yes. There's a lot of oceans around us. Even South America could be considered an ocean away. Yeah, it's a gulf. It's a big yes. gulf. It's a big, pretty gulf. big gulf. It's bigger than some oceans. Yeah. Well, at least there's <laughs> no contentions there. <laughs> Matt's giving us a look like he wouldn't believe. We really need to stop doing these at night. Anyway, <laughs> our album. 
Yes, it was John's pick. Uh, uh, so, John, why don't you go ahead and give us the intro on it? Abandoned Pools, Sublime Currency. Abandoned Pools was a band that was formed back in 2000, 2001. Yeah. First album debuted. This was towards the tail end of MTV. Yeah, Humanistic was the name of the record. The big single was The Remedy. Um, they kind of fell off the face of the earth for a few years and then came back in 2005 with the uh, what was it? The Art of the Kill, I think. I believe it was something just like that. Um, <laughs> I got into Abandoned Pools because I love... Everybody knows I love whiny. This was a whiny singer, but not in the bad way. This was a whiny singer who, it was who really... He, he, he drew his voice. He squeezed his voice. And that was during my high school, college year, so that's exactly what I was into. And then the newest record, um, Sublime Currency, came out last year, towards the end of last year. Um, uh, to, to stay in the beginning, um, this is a Nine Inch Nails, vast, it's a one-man band kind of a thing. One, live, there are band members, but on the record, it's one person doing all the, all the uh, writing and playing. Tommy Walter. And Tommy so Walter. This guy's name is Tommy Walter. He does all of the work for the record. Um, you know, featuring other artists here and there on the record, but more or less, it's of his own creation. I'm new to this artist, but uh, we all discovered at the same point that he was the guy that does pretty much everything here, yeah. which is impressive, all things considered, because there's a lot going on. Um, want to just start at the beginning? Yes. Yeah, might as well hit the first track, which is the title track, Sublime Currency, which was uh, kind of just a heavy synth, fast-paced kind of standard intro track it wasn't even a great intro it was just kind of it was a solid there. indie track yeah that's the weird yeah. thing is that all that lot going on you can hear the instrumentation that yeah. that was solid oh, yeah. like that that persisted well into the later tracks but they but, really did not hit anything with this it was very formulaic it was just straightforward indie. a lot of electronica a lot of synth work and it was getting a little yes. bit too heavy-handed which is weird because there was a lot of synth work well throughout this album and here it was just too much considering i was in this position to anyone who does not know the band i think the first track would lead them to believe they're going to get something completely different for the rest of the album yeah the record take is a hard turn after the next couple tracks um there's really not a lot to say about the first track i mean it was very very straightforward it had a life. great breakdown though it had a great breakdown and it I was yes. very very forgiving of the chorus after the breakdown yeah, the it breakdowns make better. you realize that there is other stuff at play here. They have the ability to 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 go on and expand, but the the, the courses themselves, I I was picking up on the whiny voice. I got to tell you, I wasn't a fan of it in the beginning. I enjoyed when he hit the falsetto notes. Those were those were kind of getting me a little bit more so. But then when he brought it back down to the sort of that that more static mid-range speaking whiny kind of volume, I wasn't really digging it so much. That that could have been pulled from anywhere in the 2000s, personally. Uh, and yes, I, okay, yeah. yeah. This was a lot like their previous stuff. While the vocals were a lot better, um, both in Sublime Currency, Next Track, Hype is on the Way, both tracks, very unforgiving, uh, not unforgiving, uninspiring lyrically. Um, sounded great, I didn't really care what he was singing about. Once again, too much electronica. Too heavy-handed with the alt-indie standardization. And, once again, great breakdown and great chorus afterwards. Great rhythm. Yes. I was digging the rhythm in this track. That was actually separating from the first. That's Again, I thought they were going in a little bit more of a bouncy direction initially at this point. But they didn't, <laughs> really. They went in a completely different direction. So I think we should just move on to track three, which I think is 
where we would probably all agree that the album really takes off. Yeah, uh, unrehearsed was was a lot softer. It was prettier. And it kind of had less edge than the first two tracks. It had a much more solid intro, which was it built up a lot better. It didn't build up as quickly. It didn't introduce all the instrumentation right away. No, it was it was a lot more easy In fact, going that it, way. It, it, it did have one similarity. It waited until the interludes. The interludes. The uh, the the breakdowns were again really really incredible. They were filled with a lot of. Uh, first of all, the instrumentation. We should mention a little bit about what he's actually playing. Strings uh-huh. are a big factor here. There's some piano work without the, uh, throughout the album. There's a lot of violin style work. Yes. There is a lot of tones, a lot of synth. There's guitar, there's bass, there's drums. There's Acoustic a lot. guitar, electric guitar. There's a lot of complexity in yeah. his choices. Which is why, about at this point, when we were discovered that he was the only guy doing this, it became so much more impressive. I mean, he has a very creative mind, obviously, for him to conceive all these instruments at once. And this song, Unrehearsed, had a very old-school feel. It had a very first-album feel for Abandoned Pools. Yeah, it, may, it, may, it, it was kind of a reminder, hey, this, is our, this was our sound, you know, we still do this kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, because the second album had much... It had the same feel, but it was much more a rock album. This was first first album. This was Roots. Yeah, but I heard... Um... I heard, I heard creativity here. More creativity than was present in the first two tracks. And that's going to come down to my rating at the end, is that I think when people pick up this album and they listen to the first two tracks, they might end up putting it down. Not that I, think, not that I assume that everyone should have that kind of ADD, but it happens. Um, the real crux of the matter comes in track four. Yeah, track- Behemoth. Yeah, track, which is be, behemoth of a track. It it was actually it had this great build where it started with piano, then quickly brought in horns, followed by the drums, and it kind of had this build that it was definitely different from the previous tracks. The backdrop was absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is where the strings just took off, and they built up this absolutely gorgeous introduction that went on for a while. You wanted it to persist. The only problem that I had is that they brought it down to this kind of static, predictable chorus. I, I couldn't comprehend that at that point, because all of a sudden we're getting this surge of creativity here. They had completely broken me away from my impressions of them initially, and then they went right back to it. But it was like halfway through the track. You don't expect it to occur, but when it finally occurs, it's a little disappointing. But I do have to say, this is when the lyrics really started taking off for this album. Uh... In the chorus, this is the, I gotta I gotta go with this. And it, didn't, and it didn't kill the track. It definitely yeah. No, because they brought it. You know, it was it, it was sort of a disconnect. Is all it was because yeah. they brought back the the same stuff they were doing in the introduction. They brought back later. They went back and forth, back and forth. And here's where I uh, this is my favorite part about abandoned pools. I can pick up their lyrics pretty much on the first try, and um, most of these songs I was able to pick up so much of what he was singing. Till the, the the line till you come undone so carelessly killing your time so carelessly he this this album turned into pleading to this woman that's that's what i i started seeing throughout all these tracks he's pleading with this woman who screwed herself up wants her to come back wants her to stop hurting him and it started getting just so beautiful in the way he was shaping these lyrics, the way he was singing, and with his tone, I just loved it. Yeah, I was watching you. You were loving it. Well, <laughs> yes, the, you were. The thing about the Appended Pools, and this has kind of always been the case since even their first record, the lyrics are not horribly complicated. 
it, it's more about how he says it that inflects what he's saying. And it's very free-form poet, poetry. It's, it's, it's more poetic. It's, he really doesn't rhyme. That's another big thing. Because rhyme you can get right away, and you can sing along with it great, but he really goes free-form with his yeah, lyrics. But I mean, rhyme, rhyme is more common in pop and pop rock. It's less pop. It's less common, rather, in indie and, and, and more experimental bands. And he even in the tempo, though, he doesn't always match up his verses and choruses to the tempo of the song. He varies it. He brings it back and forth. And that's what I really like. There's there's accenting the emotions of the words. The only thing I disagree with is your terminology. It's true uh, what Matt said. When you use the word like free form, it makes it seem like he's just going off. Like he's just you, you know yeah, speaking he's in not, and out of it. He's, 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 no, he's with the melody. Yes. He's still very much in the the form of what he's constructed. It's built around his lyrics. Yes, yes, that's a better way of describing it. Um, and I, this is when he started to grow me. This is when I really felt like. Abandoned Pools was back. And then we got track five, which threw us all for a complete loop. Nine Billion was a very sci-fi sounding heavy rock track with a lead bass that was, and had like these strange computer tones that was unlike anything you know, else. You know, honestly, when you're saying sci-fi, sci-fi almost attempts to place it into some kind of box as if you're supposed to relate this song to something. I am in the verge of saying this is one of the most creative songs in the entire album. Although it may not appeal to everyone. Yeah. Because it is so off the wall it compared has, to what's going on. It the has rest. accenting piano. It has steady bass work. It has screaming violins. The only thing yes. is, and you made it's, a comparison to Paper Chase when we were listening to it. Yeah. And... I, I see the comparison in composition and the franticness, but I don't get the same emotion oh, from definitely not from Paper Chase. It's, really? Because I did. That's weird. I don't feel the anger. No, there is no that, anger. That, that okay, it's anger. true that, that there was a lot of anger there, but the frantic nature, you're, 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 the you're just remembering the anger no, no, in no. Paper Chase. There the was apprehension was there. The first line is, don't mean to freak you out. And that's what the song did. That's what the instruments were. They were freaking they were bouncing. And there were a couple of tracks on that Paper Chase album, Hide the Kitchen Knives, that had the same thing. It lacked the anger of, of Hide the Kitchen Knives, but it had that... that that <sighs> Frantic really is a good way to put adrenaline, it. Yeah, Adrenaline-fueled uh, quality to it. There's also an ambiguity there. Yes. There's something very... I, I felt genuinely unsettled during this track. But I like feeling things that I don't feel too frequently in music. And well, unsettled is a, is a tricky thing to pull off in, he, in a formulaic fashion. He was trying to freak you out. And he did. It was great. I, I, yeah. It was, I, it was I, cataclysmic. I, the way I the instruments played off of one another. They were fighting. Yeah. It was... It had this very modernist sound to it also. that I It almost harkened back to a different time. I, I was... It's kind of strange. But I felt like I was in the 30s or something. And I know I made that comment, too, back at the Paper Chase album, that it was, like, very 1920s, 1930s expressionism. I'm not sure I'd be, go that far with no, this. Yeah, but it, it had some elements to it. There was a there was a distinction. I can definitely get the similarities you saw. I just didn't feel it to the same extent that you did, but I understand the comparison you're making. I definitely do. Fair enough, because it, it does come down to interpretation at that point. I mean... Who knows what you're going to feel. The point is, you're not going to feel what you felt in the rest of the album. It's going to take you off guard. And then track six was almost the perfect complement to track five. Autopilot was this kind of acoustic beauty that was just this kind of nice uh, slowdown and follow-up to 
to Nine Billion, which was kind of in your face. But it's not a pure acoustic track. Because no, it's not. Acoustic track would have been acoustic front to back. Yeah, this, no. This continuously built, and it's exactly what I wanted from a type of follow-up track why, to 9 million. That's why I said it was an acoustic beauty, because it's not just a straight acoustic track. It, it built on this kind of beautiful acoustics that it started with. Yes, it continued that and, and perpetuated. It was, it was absolutely beautiful what it did. And, um, yeah, I, I, was, I was actually very glad, because it was a tricky... It's tricky to follow 9 billion, to be honest. Oh, yeah. That's why you have to kind of... When you almost, anything, was, almost anything sounds formulaic after 9 billion. It, 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 9 billion built to this great crescendo of discord, and autopilot brought you back into the album. That's mm. what it really did. It brought you back into the previous notes, the previous track, and this track, more than anything else, cemented the lyrical connection in this album for me. It, it was all about a desire for this man's uh, love to, to fix herself. She screwed up. She has to come back to him. And he can't do it for her. She has to do it. And this really created that full theme in the lyrics for me. Yeah. And he's, he's building upon the same tones as before, but but even enhancing them. You, like, you don't get the same impression as you do in, in, in the previous few albums that we've listened to you don't get that that classic you know pop sound that is introduced yeah. it's you know it it's different it catches you up but it's only there for a few fleeting seconds and then you wonder why it was even brought in just to tease us in this case every every sound that he uses is is p- continued it, it's the, the strings yes the strings are a part of the album you're not they're not just coming in for as a as a courtesy the piano, even the, desi- the 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 composition of his synth work, solidifies throughout the album. Exactly, it's and not, there's a couple different. It's not styles he used. It's funny. I did not interpret any of this as cheesy synth, and yet there's some strong '80s work here, right? Mm-hmm. Like you hear eight-bit themes, you know, that somehow he manages to blend with all the other stuff going on. It's all about composition at that point. I think it's how he builds yeah, it. He's very tasteful, and how he layers it. And, um, he doesn't forget a sound that he's used. And then we get track seven in the in silence, which was, to me, it was a nice break from what we had been getting. It, clearly, they were building to something. They hit this crescendo. They then brought it down a notch, but still being kind of the being abandoned pools. And this in silence, which is also the first single from the record, it was a nice kind of break from what they had been building to kind of give you a chance to take a breath. And just enjoy. I mean, it was kind of very standard and formulaic, like some of the early tracks. Yeah, I put down repetitive. But That's but it too. wasn't on. It wasn't. Uh, it was well placed for a formulaic song. It was well placed on the record. I mean, it was don't, a good don't get me wrong. I see what you're saying because, as if we had to say this any more times, track seven, eight. Uh, this is about the time where that occurs. That kind of if stuff you're going to do it, this is supposed to be. So your as far as the album art goes, or putting together an out, al- producing an album and yeah. putting it together, this is pretty standard and made sense. And lyrically, it was also a very simple lyrical setup. Yeah. It was, it it's was a, the the refrain for the album. It was very. Kind of met, really. It, it yeah. let me down. And that's, overall. The, that's the catch twenty two. Like, I mean, it's to some extent, there's people like Matt out there who are probably going to agree that this is the time to settle down. They can only take so much in one moment. But there's other people who might want it to go on. Yeah, but autopilot, autopilot was already doing that. Behemoth and Nine Billion built you up. Autopilot. 
Yeah, autopilot was the eased you down. That was the ease down for me. I did. I wanted to go back up again. And in silence went too far down. Yeah. (laughs) Which was a problem. This is this is a part where I think the album didn't quite get its level. But even at its worst, it's still not bad. No, No. of course not. The the tones are still there. There's no uh, there's no disconnect from the arc that he's built. It's just a little. It was a little repetitive for me. It was um his melody repeated the the same tones. There was sort of a it wasn't exactly a xylophone, was it? The xylophone comes later. Yes. But yeah. <laughs> there was um, some kind of bell or chime that yeah. persisted throughout this entire track, all throughout In Silence, and it, it, it wore on me a bit. It was the dun-dun. Yeah. yeah, and it would do that over and over again. Yeah. It, almost, it did almost, get very Almost every phrase it repeated. You know, just a little a little gripe of mine. And then the next track we have, Marigolds, which is actually the second single from the record. So, to have, first of all, to have the two singles back-to-back on a record is not... Very common, um, but this one picked it started started that abandoned pools build up again. Um, it had a, a great drum beat. This had pretty much from the get go. Uh, not from the get go. If you remember, oh the no, same that's song. right. Yeah, yeah, no, I you're am. right. You're right. It didn't the drum the great drum beat didn't come until later. Marigold had possibly my favorite sound of the entire album. Yeah, and that was saxophone. Oh. <laughs> that's an in joke that's an in joke from previous albums because saxophone could do that but no harp harp uh, interesting I'm harping on this Ish, interesting work uh, with the wah, harp wah. that was unusual that was once again working with strings this time a whole different type of and string. it brought back the kind of in your face synth yeah. work again that we had gotten on the earlier part of the record it had incredible breakdowns and, and to be honest I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a claim here because of the way he introduced this track this is what I wanted in place of In Silence Hmm. This should have been the natural follow-up to Autopilot, I think. Um, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see that, but, I mean, I like... You needed, Mar- you needed the break, fair enough. Well, I liked the break, but I also like Marigold's leading into Legionnaire, so, because I think those two go well together, and I just, I think that there was really nowhere else for In Silence to go. Because you, I felt like 8 to 11 no, I, worked I, I really well I would say well eliminate together. In Silence completely. Well... That's my, my but it, take. And we always say we're not going to be able to do something like that, but In Silence kind of was a dead track for the album, and it was. I can definitely see that. I don't, th- I don't see but it as contributing terribly. What, what Marigold contributed that fixed my problem with In Silence was, once again, the lyrics are back. Once mm-hmm. again, the poetry yeah. is back. My favorite line from this song, and probably my favorite line from the album, when it's time to get your sea legs back again, dive back back into the ocean. I love the imagery It really is used. beautiful, and I'm glad his, you pointed that out His imagery is doing amazing work again, and that's that's the other thing. There's, they're never clear-cut lyrics with Abandoned Pools. They're never on, in really in your face. They're always open to interpretation. Not many interpretations, not like system, but they're open. They, they open up your mind. They're colorful. They it's paint. interpretation without being cryptic. And based yes. on some of the other quotes that you uh, mentioned to me, it seems like there's a lot of ocean sea imagery. Yeah, actually, I think that comes. Nope, that comes back again. Yeah. There's a couple of other places where it's there again. And yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even see that. And you almost hear that in like Marigold, Maritime. You know, you kind of almost get that impression. But uh, this is time for me to bring in one little gripe of mine. Uh, I. I know I said this earlier that they're not, they're not, he's not particularly one for just bringing in an instrument and then letting it die, but I did kind of feel like he did it here because I'm, I'm emphasizing how gorgeous that harp was. And I don't just mean the actual fact that there was a harp present. I mean the actual way he, 
he blended used, it, right? He used it. Yes, he used it. Absolutely. It was quite possibly the best introduction that I've heard in, in quite a while. And yet, he went into more of a standard indie track in the middle. I mean, as far as tone goes, I felt like there was a disconnect there. Well, this is It was present. an indie track bracketed by Harp. He used it as an intro. He used oh, yeah. it as an outro. That it, was it, a it, little separate. It sounds like the same problem you had with Be A Boy last week, where it opens with this great saxophone, and then it's gone before you know it, and then yep. it, it comes in again at the end. Yeah, so exactly. it was kind of bracketed by that My saxophone. My issue with that is that you can do that to anything. Yeah. Absolutely anything. I did not see a blend from the harp to the main right. track, the, 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 the meat of the track. I didn't see a connection right. there. I, and it's a great effect. I just felt like he forced it a bit. And one of the things that he did throughout this album was his choruses were weaker. His choruses got standardized. Mm-hmm. They became alt-rock at times, just just shy of alt-rock. I mean, he was doing this great synth work, and he would drop out the synth work at parts when and, and, and do some heavy guitar and drums, and you're like, why? Yeah. Why? You were doing great synth. Exactly. And you, and you, you got rid of it. Why? Why, why? Did, why did you go back... Just because he felt you had to? I don't know. I can't explain it. Now, but was... I, I will say one thing. I, he, whenever he made those kind of uh, those little drop-offs, it was not quite to the extent of the first two tracks. Yes. Well, first of all, the first two tracks had nothing to drop off from because it's the beginning. But it, it, it doesn't go back to that level of uh, standard formulaic uh, everyday indie. He, he Overall, from three on, he maintained a certain standard. You may dip from that standard at times, but... It was all better than the beginning. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I definitely would. Um, moving on to the next track, Legionnaire. Um, I found that uh, as far as um, all the other tracks go, this had some of the better guitar work, especially there's a guitar solo towards the end that I, I just adored. That rocked. Yeah, it, it was really very just good. Rocked. It was cool. I'll agree with that. <laughs> and 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 that was kind of nice because I mean there was guitar obviously steady guitar work through most of the record, but this is where the first song where the guitar really kind of stood out on its own above the piano, above the strings, above the French horn, and all this other stuff. He let the guitar, the kind of expected instrument in a lot of rock, to kind of stand out on its own in his music. Legion Air. It's a little more military oriented in its lyrics and you can get that with the guitar i think the guitar was representative of his lyrics it was extremely imagery driven references to things like empires and meeting them in the wilderness and a line about a paper tiger which i (laughs) in literature i haven't seen in years i mean something of that sort it was it was the most opaque of the lyrics but it worked. It worked with that guitar work. I, I, he keeps pairing his voice up with something different. Piano work here, violin work there. No, and I, it I got good it, with the guitars. I gotta admit that even even though this track might be a little thinner in tone compared to the other tracks out there, he makes up for it really, really well with his lyrics. And it's by this point that I actually uh, got to warm up to his voice quite a bit um, because he wasn't. He was singing more. Whenever he sings, I enjoy it. When he sings, when he goes in that falsetto. It sets me almost in the same tone that he had set up earlier with the instruments that he uses. Uh, the only thing I didn't care for earlier on was when he was speaking. But he didn't seem to do that for the last half of the album. So, I was on board with it. <laughs> um, moving on next is uh, probably one of my favorite tracks on the record. Even though it wasn't as inventive or, imag- or imaginative as some of the other tracks, 
Um, although my favorite moment on the record comes actually in track 11, which we'll get to. But in track 10, uh, From Long Sleep is your standard, pretty guitar and piano track. It, the back and forth track. Yeah, it had a, it had Tommy singing with a female vocalist who for the life of me I couldn't find out who it was. There's not a Wikipedia page for this album yet, so I couldn't really find the info anywhere else I googled. Um, but it's him going back and forth with a female vocalist and, and then in the chorus is them singing together and then towards the end of the track actually swapping and singing each other's tempos. The he sets himself up as a king. She sets him, herself up as a queen. The empire's back. The 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 ocean imagery's back. With talking of fleets, I mean, this is starting to unify the actual lyric uh, to, to complete the lyrical experience of this album. And what you didn't notice until they actually started singing in tandem with one another is they flipped their pacing. The first half of the male vocals versus the second half was flipped to the uh, the the second half of the male vocals matched up to the first half of the female vocals. Yes. And when singing in tandem it was not just unusual but it was beautiful. Yeah. yeah but yeah, it's yeah. I really overrated this uh, this song when we were first listening <laughs> to it cuz it was very different. Because I was frowning the entire time. This was a very different song. I, this... kn- well, I acknowledge that this song is pretty standard and cliche as far as these kind of songs go, but for me just cuz it's cliche doesn't mean it's less beautiful, especially in context of the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm going to be a Steve, crab here. Yeah, no, I'm going to be a real crab here. He can explain. All right, Zoidberg, let's hear it. All right. <laughs> my <laughs> issues you will not find any more of a more standard acoustic track than this. He dropped all creativity as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you, it, it, cliche doesn't even begin to cover it. I mean, especially bringing in the, the female vocalist. Yes, it's very pretty. It's very nice. It's very everything. It, you're probably going to shed a tear if you have felt anything of what they're describing. But all that said, it has been done so many times before that I cannot take this. Um, I can't take it originally. I can't take it... I have to take it with a grain of salt, because I can get it anywhere else. And that's not what I'm getting in the rest of this album. They've built up a specific tone, and then all of a sudden, they're in folk country mode. Okay. I couldn't accept that. It just... It's too, so, too what you're saying is, you're jaded by this, this track. Very. So, if you saw the sunrise a hundred times, you don't really feel the need to see it anymore. Well, that's a really cold way to describe it. <laughs> I'm just... Sunrise can be beautiful in depending... I think sunrises... Wow, this is going to get really poetic. I think sunrises have to do with what you bring to the table. Whatever's going through you at that moment, that sunrise could define it. Okay. Depending upon what you... Life changes. So, so a sunrise 10 years from now could be something completely different, even though you're still staring at the same sun. So could it be fair to say that possibly the reason me and John enjoy this track more than you is because we're rejecting a kind of emotional connection for ourselves at that time that we're finding that you just don't have? Perhaps. I, I, I made no pretenses to say that you're not going to get emotion out of this. Right. I'm just not getting emotion out of it. Okay. Because it didn't... I need to hear something, something else. As far as folk is just the kind of thing that I need to hear it a little bit more earnest. More, I need to have more earnesty in in the folk itself. Okay, I mean, I will. And there was something about this that just seemed like they were taking the classic folk pattern, cut and pasting it, 
slapping at the near the end of the album where you're supposed to feel a little bit more emotional and banking off of that. I will agree. Didn't appreciate that. Too. I will agree that this track, the singing, did lose his very stand, his very unique singing style. He went very standard in his singing, and that did kind of disappoint me a bit. Yeah, I will definitely Be- because, agree with that. Because the singing definitely didn't hold up to the rest of the album in this track. But, it, I, but it's not that. It's the but instrumentation. It still wasn't bad. I mean, this is a kind of a tricky thing because wait, wait. as far as instrumentation did get a break. You get a little bit of a hole. You're not getting the same uh, ubiquitous sound. Because I'll, that is a critique, is that up to this point, as much as I love the strings and all that other stuff, it does become a little bit the same. So you could call this song the... Uh, the Experiment? <laughs> yeah, but that's in ironic. The least, in the least experimental way. Actually, that's a perfect way to put it. I, I'll put it this way. The, the only thing that connects this song to the rest of the album are the lyrics themselves. Yeah, the specific lyrics themselves. All everything right, I'll else, buy that. Everything else is different. Yes. Production is different. Composition. Singing style. Everything. Vocal. Everything is different. I don't dislike that it was so different. I just wish he had done different better. Um, you okay, wish he did I... different differently. Actually, yeah. Exactly. That, that is exactly it. Yes. Yeah. But a very you know weird what? way to describe But, but you, he, this is the thing, He though. did something different. Let's rewind two months. Remember Avett Brothers? Same no. same exact category of, uh, of, of, of folk. As far as I'm concerned, which a lot of the Avid Brothers, some of it was was really yeah. form and thin. I did, I wasn't getting too much new stuff out of the Avid Brothers, right. particularly. And you know, <laughs> like I said, I don't. Enjoy this guy th- had built himself up as a creative type in the middle of the album. But I didn't enjoy this track because it was creative. I didn't enjoy this track because it was different. I didn't enjoy this track because it was should have been a B side. It was simply Ooh Pretty Sunset. That's it. That's all it is. This track to me. And I'm okay with seeing another sunset. Yeah, but I can get that elsewhere. I don't go to him for that. <laughs> you don't go to him at all. Now you're going to go to him. Oh, yeah, I might because of his other stuff, not because of this. <laughs> but while you're already here, you might as well <laughs> enjoy the crap. pretty that... I mean, you're. I feel like, to me personally, I feel like you're being almost unnecessarily harsh on the track, but I can understand where you're coming from. Because there, there is definitely those complaints are valid. I am a big fan of folk. I want to put that out there. But my folk needs a flair. It needs something because it's a very, very old, tried and true uh, genre. You need to bring something new to the table, and he didn't. That's that's the end of my critique. Okay, All right, let's uh, move on to the final track because I think we've pretty much talked for long from long sleep to death. Yes. Okay. Um, I want to do this one. So I want to do this. You don't in go ahead. shadows. Probably his closest popular sound. To his original breakthrough in 2001. This is probably the sound that's closest to what made him popular. Hmm. This had, by far, the best chorus in the entire album. This one was pure poetry. And it also had a great effect with the singing. The piano mirroring the vocals with this doubling effect. Yeah. That was just... It, it, it's not featured anywhere else on the record, which is actually kind of disappointing because I think I thought there are a not, lot of... Not the piano specifically, but he they featured that doubling quite often. But it didn't stand out as much as it did in this track because the doubling was consistent through almost the entire track. There were only minor moments here and there where it wasn't happening. Otherwise, every time he sang, the piano was following suit with this doubling. And here we go. This is These are the lines. 
The innocent are fast asleep, a phantom juggernaut in dreams. The idiots are fast asleep, an empire falls beneath our feet. It's bringing back this imagery of empire, of build-up. It's bringing back the sleep from uh, the long sleep and in silence. It's his most inventive work in this whole album. It was the the true expression of the album was was in these lines. And it had a beautiful long uh, fade out at the end, which was indicative of a conclusion track that I thought was yeah this really great. Like it this was put a good the wrap period up. yeah on this album. This completed the album. It had that whole. Beethoven-esque, I don't want to end the song. I'm right. Gonna keep going, keep going, keep going. And um, done. Yep, and then just just ends. But uh, it, was, it was beautiful, nonetheless. Yeah. I, I, I do think he brought it back with this track. Yeah. Um. But I, I gotta start talking about this whole thing here, as, as a group. Because as far as the emotion was concerned for me, it was really in and out. Yeah. And, and I don't even just mean from track to track, I mean within the tracks themselves. Uh, there was only a small handful, actually just one or two tracks, that I felt completely emotionally invested in front to back. And strangely, really strangely, one of those is Nine Billion. Yeah. Which is not what you'd expect, because it's not terribly... It's not emotional in that type of, like, sweet way. Not in that, not in that oh, I'm just going to lie down and... and, and contemplate life kind of way. No, it's unsettling. It's really strange. It's probably going to freak you out, as the song describes. Nevertheless, he doesn't mean it does to. something to you. He doesn't mean to freak you out. <laughs> yeah, sure. The, the emotion portrayed in these songs is longing, which is something he's visited a few times. That's a hard emotion to consistently portray. Because there is an inherent sadness to his voice. I'm going to say that. And it's not sad. There was a comparison sad. to Death Cab that went on here. Yes. Uh, and Postal Service. And not in the instrumentation, the but in the vocals. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's mainly because of that, that sort of sad tone that Ben he, Gibbard tends to yeah, have. Yeah, Ben Gibbard in most of his yeah. tracks also, even when singing a more positive song, yeah. like The Sound of Settling, is, yeah. is kind of an upbeatish song. That's definitely the up the upbeatest side of the Death Cab world. But even his but his vocals are still very demure and kind of just just kind of sad. We talked we talked yeah. about a, this a few times. Longing uh, is the word. Longing, yeah, longing. This while it doesn't hit the same levels that you guys say, uh, Platoon hits death. <laughs> or that the paper chase hit anger. This is a great contender for longing. longing I would agree. It's not quite there. There are a couple of problems. Yeah. And a couple of not-so-good songs. But it hits longing very, very solidly. And I still don't think it's by he any does, means does. bad in any way. They're, like Even the tracks that are kind of standard are still, no, of course. He's are a, still okay for what they are. Clearly a very talented artist. Um, I, sometimes there were just moments where I was wondering what his point was. Longing is a, is an interesting way to put it because I yeah. I do see it, but then there there are even moments within that 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 break away completely. Like all, when he that gets, harp when that harp comes in, it sounds like he's in love. It sounds like he's in, in like in the midst of it. And then the and, harp being gone could be like he doesn't have his love. Oh, and it comes oh, back. Meta. And then it comes out back at the end. <laughs> but I don't know. 
I think that this, is it a dream? <laughs> There's de- dreaming. There's lots of dreaming in here. I think that this album definitely suffers in the art department a little bit, just because like there's that overwhelming feeling of longing throughout the record, but it's still not tight enough that it pulls it together. And the biggest hold is the first two tracks. Yeah, really, they don't really, really have that long. That is that's where the problem really. So is. I think this album yeah. really suffers for arc. There's a lot here, and it's still a. Good record, but but Ark definitely hurts it here. Yeah. For sure. Uh, you know, also, I would say this it also is a strong... No, uh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay, okay. I would say that this Ark has been, is a lot stronger than some of the things we've actually rated fairly high. Um, because there is a solidity, with the exception of three songs. There's eight a, eight out of the eleven. Arc. There's a big tonal arc. There's a big tonal arc. There's a, arc. There's a big arc. lyrical arc, and there's a big emotional arc here. That's three solid yeah, parts. True. Yeah, yeah, I you're, guess. you're right, you're right. It's just, I guess it's not as an obvious of an arc. It's kind of, you You, you do gotta have pay to attention. Yeah, one of the things, you have to pay attention to the lyrics yeah. in this one in uh, order agreed. to get that arc. Agreed, this is very lyric heavy. Which is, yeah. what, which is why I always listen to a band and I love the lyrics. I thoroughly enjoy the lyrics. I, I listen, and his voice is, I don't know, I'm just so used to listening to it. I think that's why I picked up so much stuff on this album. I mean, I would say that... My- well, I continue. I was just gonna say, on a production level, this record definitely is better than the other two. He hasn't sounded nearly as good as this. But with that said, going back and listening to the remedy, I liked how raw it was. It was very much a pinback moment for me. Like Steve had, like I like the new record, I do, and I'm not really as disappointed to say Steve might have been then. Also, this discography is smaller, and it's one guy. But when I and yet mean, it's spread out though, yeah, considerably spread out. But when I listen to Remedy, it's like I, I mean, first of all, it's so glaringly obvious that the older stuff goes between the experimental kind of synth to the standard rock power chords, and that I didn't like. Whereas in this, there's really not as much of that, except in first, of course the in first, first two, two tracks. tracks. No, I definitely see evolution here. He's changing with the times and all that, but it almost sounds like there's this inner. Uh, this this inner blossoming creative entity within mm. him that he's not really letting out too much. The most that it got out was nine billion. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot more there. But there's you, a lot more that he wants to well, get out there, but he he's like stuck to his roots. And I feel like well, could, there's could, there, there's a dangerous longing, there's a dangerous desire and, in that in that track. And it could be mm. more that he's still growing. I mean, this is only his third record, it's even third, though he's been around for a lot. Third record years. after a We're dozen years. Oh one, oh five, and, and this is this twelve this year. Yeah, the, uh, last last year. That's that's a little weird because. That that you're implying that you know he's still growing as an artist. Of course, we're all growing as artists. Over the course of we could be any age, we're still growing. It's just a little strange that time frame because uh, twelve years is a long time. It is, but also he's a single artist. It's possible that he's building not, an entire record by himself. Perhaps he's it, not prolific enough, though. It's possible. I mean, it's not uncommon that that. Uh, Trent Reznor, Trent Reznor took long breaks between Nine Inch Nails albums. That's why he did lots of remix albums, because those are a lot easier to spit out from the computer, whereas building an entire record from scratch by yourself, doing all the music and lyrics and instruments yourself, takes a lot longer. Oh, yeah. I agree, I agree. And remix albums allow you to refine your sound. And, but the funny thing days. is that some of the most uh, creative artists that I know are one-man shows. 
Yes, but one man shows because they're not inhibited, sort of by that. But that. is it? But those one man show bands are they standard guitar, drum, bass tra- artists, so or are they not. like this? So they're like more <laughs> like there this. are. Okay. In terms of, I'm gonna pull what I want when I want. Yeah. But still make it a theme. Yes. Okay. Yes. Production. Not not exactly like this type. So of I guess it just depends on the artist, really. Yeah. And just, also, he had gotten dropped by his label between the second and third album, so that could have been part of it too. Right. It doesn't help when you have nobody actually helping you. True. I said help too many times. Help, help, help. <laughs> help, help. <laughs> um, I think that we should uh, start wrapping this up. I'll do it. Okay. You're reading. Um, so what I wanted from Abandoned Pools is exactly what I wanted. It was sweet. It was... It was longing. It was the whiny voice was back and it was better than ever. Uh, yeah, there's downsides. We've talked about them, but there's plenty of upsides on this album. It, for me, for a lyric guy, this was great. This, this was this is so really good. Record. It, it yeah. words, 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 words were great. They were, they were not rhymes. They were not just lyrics. They were poetry. They were poems. They were poems that were fit around and violins came in and out and guitar came in and out and it was great. Um, even the downside, even the lowest of tracks are still good for me. Uh, and I'll say this is, this is a solid four, I don't know if I want to say four or 4.5 because I truly did love it front to back. As an album, I felt it was Don't be afraid of the in-between decimals. Don't be afraid of them. I can't do it though. I made a vow not to because you do it. Unbelievable. And you hurt my feelings when you do it. And now you really need to do it, though. It's a four. Ugh. It's a four. It's a solid four. No. It doesn't quite push itself up to awe-inspiring. To get over a four, you really have to have solidity throughout all the tracks. Some of it was repetitive. Some of it was really uninspiring in the beginning. Not a fan of In Silence. So a four. All right. Through through good. Really good. In terms of lyrics, I can't question you at all. In terms of lyric, I was really enjoying that. From what I could gather on a first listen, it's always tough for me to get it in a first listen, but I, I, I was quote, into it. I kept quoting so you could hear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, helps. <laughs> and that uh, that definitely added to it. Uh, so I can't question any of that, but, you know, I go back to what I usually go back to, and that, that's tone. There's a lot of, um, he had a lot of safe moments in what otherwise would have been a very out-there album. And those safe moments kind of take over, to be honest. What I mean by that early early two thousand sounds, which I, I guess I'm not I'm not I'm not hating on him per se, but there's a there's a I at times did not feel that they belonged. They sounded like holdover from a past that was not terribly relevant to the message that he was actually conveying. It sounded dated? A little bit. Okay. I think But I only mean I only mean those portions. I mean the classic example was what I found in Marigold. How the how like I, I I wanted an expansion of the harp melody. I wanted to build upon that, and he gave me an indie track in between. Um, that kind of thing. It's just it it, it tended to I love it tended how, to flatten it out for me when he was when I was on a high. I just eh, right back down. I love how Steve uses indie because this was this is just like the first album really in tone, and that was an alt album back then. And that's a funny thing because back then it would be you know. Par for the course, right there, when indie was in its prime. 
Well, maybe not prime. No, you got two thousand five. Yeah, prime. And even then, indie hasn't quite hit a prime. It's still indie. It is still well. Indie has its strong points, though. Yes, we no, all this love is definitely indie. towards the more higher end of indie for sure. It's not standard guitar drum indie. And I love making fun of yeah. indie, but I can't do it anymore. <laughs> Point is, I I was really hoping to. Uh, I wanted, I wanted an expansion on those other material. He had other material going on here, and I guess, sort of to go back on what I said, when I look at the thing objectively, the whole entire album, there were some some courtesy moments, but. I mean that in the subtlest possible way. Nowhere near to the pop extremes that I've I've cited in earlier occasions. Uh, on the whole, it's still a lot of creative work. I think I see potential embedded within this guy. I'm actually very excited to hear what the next album is. Perhaps he'll move thoroughly to the next decade. Yeah. Perhaps that's the case. I'm kind so, of excited for you to hear his previous work. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see about that. In any case, rating-wise, uh, I think it it hovers right in between that 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 pushing forward and lagging behind. So I gotta put it right there at four. Just exactly what you said. Not in the upper four territories, which are indicative of full-blown creativity. Okay, I mean, I don't really think there's anything I can say about this record that hasn't really already been said. I mean, this was a pretty straightforward review. We had a lot to talk about with Robbie Williams because we were kind of still realizing things as we were talking out the record. We were because we're working backwards with that. When you're talking about a pop artist that all of a sudden has all these inner like these burgeoning moments of creativity and meta pop, that's that's, this is the opposite here. Yeah. So, but I, I will say that I definitely did like the record, and and it. For me, I think the thing that I really like is this is way more memorable than Humanistic was, their first record in 2001. Humanistic, I, li- I listened to dozens of times, but re-listening to a couple of tracks today, didn't recognize any of them except The Remedy. Because they just, I don't know. It's and just, their second album, the second album, I, I feel like uh, so many other bands could have made that. There was yeah. no individuality in it. There's individuality Th- here. This record is really a stand-up mm. record, and I'm curious to see where he goes from here, and I hope he continues to make more music. But but like I said, on, on the long and short of it, it m- mostly what can be said has been said already. Um, I think that the I think the trackers, tracks that you guys like less, I don't like as little as you do. Um, but that being said, it's still hovering around the same range because there are lows... There are moments where I, you know, I felt were repetitive and I wasn't drawn in. You get disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, you know, even though Autopilot didn't end up being what I wanted, and I got that later with 10 on a more standard level, Autopilot was still well done and I still enjoyed it, just for a different reason. But, um, but I, honestly, I would love an, an entire album of 9 billion. I, I really would. I think. Oh, me too. I think it would be very interesting because I think it would be better than the Paper Chase. We would. I, I, I'm curious to agree. Yeah, I think it would be better than the Paper Chase. Even though I like Paper Chase because it set out to do. Uh, no, I didn't like the Paper Chase, but it set out to accomplish what it was going for. You think you could like a I think nine I could, billion album? Yeah, I think so. I think so. But um, but I I'd be inclined to agree with both. Call of it you. ten billion. <laughs> Creeped out in the best possible way. Yeah. That's what you're saying. But but I'm inclined to um, 
to agree that this is definitely a four. I do have to say though, Ugh, we're I, agreeing again. What the hell is this? I can't. I can't say that I can remember the Fine, last. Fine, I'm changing time. mine to a two. I can't remember the last time. <laughs> I I had an I had an album that started with the um, the title track. I haven't seen that in a while, and I kind of like that. Even though those tracks weren't the strongest, I like that the title track actually wasn't the most important track on the record. I felt like he was I reintroducing like. himself. Here's what I did before. This is what I'm doing now. That's what the yeah. two tracks in the beginning were. You know, this is gonna blend into our um into our discussion here, uh, which is a continuation of last week's discussion, uh, which is that I feel the first two tracks are that. Your initial definition of intelligence, which is to say, sly, clever. He knows how to use the system, use people's knowledge of pop, much more likely to, to be connected to the first two tracks. They can attach to that. That's been tested for ten years. So, of course, he's going to open with that, because that's how the album's going to sell. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I might not be too into because I, I want the nitty-gritty, I want the, the other stuff. Okay, let's let's get right into it because we were dissatisfied with our discussion of intelligence versus creation. Um, we here's here's a new definition of how we're going to proceed. Intelligence is composition, the the knowledge of putting tracks together so that they work, so that they harmonize, to know how to integrate a guitar, which maybe everybody heard before or maybe it's never been heard before, but how to integrate it into your music. How to match up lyrics. How to actually make music. Creativity is your experimentation. Trying something new. New tones, new instruments. Coming up with original ideas. Maybe not put in the best way, maybe not put in the worst way, but just expanding yourself as an artist. Pushing your boundaries. Yes. And I'm going to add something to to intelligence there. I think that, that... What goes into that is also a lot of work. Um, a lot you of know, production. Some people would argue that, you know, you well, if you're truly intelligent, you don't need as much work. But I still think there's a lot of painstaking composition that goes into that kind of intelligence. You need to have the time to actually sit down and look at your own work objectively and, and figure out exactly what you're going to do with it. Because, after all, once it's done, it's done. You can't change it anymore. Now, we talked a few weeks ago, well, not a few weeks, a few months ago, about those guys in Spain that were able to basically outline the mathematical formula for pop. Yes. Now, that's an uh, intelligence thing. That is understanding how to put tones together to make something. To make something that people will be able to listen to, <clears throat> excuse me, and recognize as music. Music of a certain genre, a certain type. But now you just get beats. You just went back to the other definition of intelligence. No, no, no. I'm saying that the there's an inte- I'm saying there's intelligence in pop, but no creativity. In your in, in what we hate upon, it's in, it's smart. But it I would smartly call that designed. It clever. is clever. Well, bleh. no, it, it's it's intelligent. You know that is, strategic. Is, it is pure intelligence. It's no creativity. No actual creativity in the music itself. Okay, I see what you're saying, but it's misleading. And that's how we got off into the tangent that we got in last week. That's the extreme. The extreme version of intelligence is just knowing what to do and knowing how to how to sell yourself. Knowing yes. what the world wants and yes. knowing how to create it. Um, it's it's a primarily a production piece. Hmm. It's not the design. Now, we talked about this last week. Robbie had the... 
dash of saxophone. That's creativity. But that was a lack of intelligence because he did not use it throughout the piece. Hmm. That That is the far end of it. It was a dash of creativity, doing something that changed the flavor of the music, that made you stand up and go, oh, that yeah. made you regard it as something different. You know, really trying to expand the horizon of what people are listening to. Take something old, tired, and true and reimagine it. He just did not treat it. He didn't, he he didn't, didn't persist do it smart. with that. He did not do smart. He did dumb with that. <laughs> Which is a gripe I have with that song. He did dumb with it. He did not pursue that. He didn't pursue the... The the idea, or he didn't pursue the um, the creative side of things. You mean he did not pursue that creative piece yeah. intelligently, and that's that's the discussion <laughs> that's really here. I think we're overly complicating this. I well, think... I want to talk about how. Well, chime in, Matt. You got some gripes. The problem is, I I find that intelligence beats creativity. In popular, oh, right. in popularity, you can't make the. That that I don't like. Oh the... wait, oh wait. In popularity. In popularity. In general popularity, intelligence always beats out creativity. Because the tr- look at Flying Lotus. I mean, keep going back to this. Incredibly created, stupidly done. Yeah, but where do you draw the line between creativity and pure randomness? Because I would call some of that album random. Random, yeah. There's a good chunk of it that... I don't even think he was being creative. I think he was just pressing buttons and see what I happened. think when you say the word creativity, I don't think necessarily the um, extreme of that is is your Andy Warhol. Because I think there's actually a, there's actually a boundary between what is called... But anything is creative. All right? I guess, objectively speaking, absolutely anything is creativity. If you're creating it, if it's on paper, sure, it's creative, whatever. But... To actually define it as creative in positive sense, the the way we glorify the term, then I think we have to eliminate that kind of random nature. We I have to completely think, eliminate that from the picture. I don't think creativity in and of itself is always positive, though. I think it's being too in your own head. Well, I have no idea what you mean by that. The words really? were lost. Okay, this is what I mean. You're so obsessed that it's 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 good in your own mind. In your own mind, you are a genius. You're pulling something that has never been done before and should break all boundaries. Oh, you don't mean me personally. No. Because <laughs> you kept I mean, saying you, and I was like, what the hell are you okay, talking about? Okay, I'm being a little uh, aggressive here. No, yeah, you, artist, artist somewhere out there over the, over the airwaves, over the internets, you, I think, should not be so immersed in your own brain. And that's what... That's what that's the extreme of creativity that I think you were talking about. Yes. That if in, in your own head you think that this is going to be the, the next big thing, but you're not looking at it objectively at all. You're not taking it to look at, well, th- this is, you know, maybe the average person won't be able to pick up on this. I mean, what is the recent waves of music that are out there? You have to have some conscience, some conscience for what else, what is going on in the world, who's going to be able to pick up on your music. Otherwise, and that's intelligence. you can do anything. That's intelligence. That's intelligence. Being able to create something that people will enjoy and regard as music. Modern music, though, isn't always created for an audience because of viral culture and the internet and accessibility. 
it's very highly believed, especially with music and even in other mediums, that if you create something, the audience will find it. You don't have to work as hard to find the audience because they'll find you. And I think that's where a lot of this creativity versus intelligence kind of falls away because some artists will just do what they want and then put it where it's easily accessible and mm. let the fans carry it. Because in a viral culture, let's use Cy for an example. In a viral culture, and he's very much in this country, not necessarily his home country, but here, a viral culture. One person found that video and that song and went, oh my God, this is great. You got to hear this and played it for another friend who played it for another friend who played it for another friend. And that video went, and that was, that video was the definition of viral last year. And that's because, and it wasn't because he marketed it because his company marketed it because the song was amazingly creative or intelligent. I mean, there could be arguments for one or the other, but it was more about just the fact that it had that it factor that caught people's attention and then it spread like wildfire. And sometimes I think that... The it factor. The it factor carries above intelligence or creativity sometimes. Depending on the audience, it, it falls on. The thing that no one can predict. You can do what you, what you think is going to be successful for years and years and years, or just what you like it may never actually make it in the grand scheme of things. No, this is true. But, and actually that, that is where I come up with a little bit of a flaw here. Because if you're going to talk the other side of things, intelligence, you called it, John, you called it the extreme of intelligence in just knowing the system so well that you can just shell out whatever you want. Is that pop, what you said? Pop is a, pop has a lot of examples of that. And where's the... Trance, techno, dubstep have, has a lot of examples of that. Okay, so where's the difference between intelligence then and copying? Because that doesn't seem hmm. to imply intelligence at all to me. That's imitative. Not always. And it's, well, especially if you're if the thing that you're copying is so incredibly formulaic that it it you could take a couple monkeys to copy it. What is more formulaic than techno? It's incredibly it quite, formulaic, yeah, but... And you know what? It, it Some parts have creativity, that some this... parts don't. A lot of it actually really doesn't have a lot of creativity in it. But it's smartly made as a whole. The popular stuff, while I'm not a big fan of uh, Skrillex personally, because I find his stuff to be a little more on the bland side, I, it's very smart techno. It's very... It knows exactly what buttons to push. He knows what buttons to push, literally. There, there are buttons. <laughs> but it's not like he's doing anything new. I, they're the same buttons. I think we yeah. need to more specifically redefine this topic. I don't think that... I think we're beating a dead horse a little yeah, bit. <laughs> I, I, we um, we well, no, I think we got somewhere here because I just looped you back around again. I mean, let's put it this way. What you said before, John, made sense. When you said the... The creative, the creative side of the spectrum, I suppose, it's true. Like, the way I boil it down to is you should not be so um, almost conceited, I guess, to think that your work is going to change music. Uh, I hate to use this. I really do because he's one of my he'll idols. Be he'll be confident. It's one of my idols, but John Lennon. All right. Great example. Extreme creatism. Great example. Creatism. Cre creativeness. <laughs> Creativity. Not smart, not smartly done, especially when he did some stuff with Yoko. Mm -hmm. 
The Yoko stuff was a, an abortion of music, finger quotes. Yes, but it was extremely creative for its time. It was, it was out there. I don't think the Ballad of John and Yoko was creative. I think it was. Really? I would define that as creativity. I disagree. Compared to the Beatles' pantheon, I know. Yeah, but there was an no. intelligence behind the Beatles' Create The pinnacle of creativity for me in Beatles' pantheon is, I mean, one of my highest, highest regarded songs is Helter Skelter, still. Because it creates the sound that was so different from anything else they had really done. You could almost argue loosely that Helter Skelter initiated punk. That's what I've said a ton of times. Yeah, is that that was one of the first punk songs. What was that. it? Mean Mr. Mustard, Polythene Pan, and what was the third one? That trio of tracks on Abbey Road that quite literally were one solid song with movements in them. This is your list, not mine. Um, or uh, Hard... Not Hard Day's Night. Um, oh... Darn it, A Day in the Life. Oh, well, actually A Day in the Life, to be honest, I think is probably, I think that's one of the most creative tracks in my opinion, but... I like the benefit of being Mr. Kite. Uh, that too. That's another it's okay. very creative Maybe Beatles' Nonsense is a good example, because they were, this was creativity but, that managed to work and really... But, like, oh wait, no, well, I have I'm a good example. Everybody. There's an intelligence behind this, because they know what they're... Really? Because what else did they have to model off of? They weren't model. They were. I mean, you could. You can relate it back to anything. They were modeling off of themselves. That uh, those those were. That's almost preordained evolutions of sound for them. They were on their own. They no. had to go that's a, there. That's a closed system, though. No, they had to go there. Like that was the next step of their creation. You're gonna say, Matt? Yes. Intelligence. This idea that you're being smart about ripping off in the right way, but still making it your own and doing something different. Elvis. Elvis rip, ripped off... Oh, plenty of blues and sold people from, like, the 30s. But he... He was very smart about it. But he was very smart that, about yeah, it, and he, he made it his okay, own. Okay, we'll say that that's the pinnacle of intelligence. That's the most positive intelligence I could think of. There are other people who would say that's the pinnacle of the white man still in the black man's music. <laughs> Well, that too. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay with that. That's like reverse racism. It's okay. <laughs> oh. Reverse racism is always okay. Oh, of course. Um, but that's what I'm saying is that that's this is that boy band formula that I talked about last week. That you know, were those guys really intelligent or stupid for knowing this formula and using it to mass produce this crap? Justin Timberlake's solo career. That's Not why we have all the words in the English language. No, it's his solo career is creative. I, no, I would attest it's actually not very creative. It was very well-designed music, and I enjoy a lot of it. Mm. I, I hate to say yeah, it, but I enjoy a lot of tracks, his, his music. Say. He definitely had some. Or we go back to her. Christina Aguilera, not very creative, but very intelligently designed <sighs> music. I, I still think that this really is a feedback loop because I honestly believe this is why we have other words in the English language. This is strategic and clever, yeah. not necessarily intelligent. I think the problem here is that we're using intelligence to describe too many things Intelligence that is such smart. A, it's such a broad term. Yes. Yes. To be honest, if we're going to talk like real uh, no, neuroscience right here, creativity falls under intelligence yes. in many senses. I think that we need to, we may have to table this again and come back to it with... I think I'm going to actually write a... Something on this. I, I have think, to. I think it's no, the best we, way we, for we got, to set it we up. We got somewhere, but then we went back on it. I think what <laughs> we have to do is table it and, and better define intelligent and creative. I don't think those terms are specific enough. 
Where is our Webster's Dictionary? We should have that out. We should have a music dictionary, Webster's Dictionary. Oh, no. In front of us at all times in this podcast. Remember, we, we got the part of the website where we actually delineate, not delineate, outline uh, the way we regard music, how, how we do the zero through five stars. Uh, I suggest we all, I'll start, we all do, what's the differences? What's the differences between it? Do you think you both could do what differences between intelligence and creativity and how you regard the two of them? Perhaps. Perhaps, but I think it's more important to just kind of break these terms down more so we That's can describe what I mean. them better. Can we describe them each in our own way? But I, don't I know think my definition is different than Steve's. We need a blackboard, really, is what we I need. Think we need a blackboard right here at the front. Yeah, I think that we need we need to table this discussion and, and, and try and f- focus the discussion more, per se. Because otherwise we're just going to go back to, he's this and she's that. And these are that, and then we're just going to go back in a circle. And I don't, I don't know that we're really going to get anywhere. With no, it's this. just the, the, it's what, like I, a, what I've gathered no, no, here like is that fair, it's like a merry-go-round. You pay the quarter, you get on the horse. It goes up and down and around and around in a circle with the music and the colors and the lights, all good things. Hold up, <laughs> this is the single uh, issue that I had last week, and I'm going to cite it again. This time, much more clearly. You went back on yourself again. Because initially, it's you defined. No, 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 let me describe it. Initially, you defined intelligence, which I thought was very accurate, as knowing how the instruments work, knowing how knowing how to how to use them. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think this uh, borders with skill quite a bit as well. Just another word to throw in there. But that's how you defined it. And then uh, okay. you went back on yourself and you started defining it on this whole uh, no, you knowing how to use the pop system. Yeah, no, there's a lot more shades to it. There's skill. There's craftiness. There's That's why it's slyness. an it's an umbrella I, term. It's there, a very broad quite, umbrella term. Yeah, I, I think we're gonna that, we'll break. The, I will definitely write an article and break this down. I think we shades. I think we need mm-hmm. to break this discussion down more to a broader, a less broad, more specific honed topic and also like Such as a podcast on intelligence and a podcast on creativity or but even beyond that like break those down more and like even our conversations talk about things that represent one emotion versus another like i think that these are all topics that are going to be too broad in their raw state and we have to fine-tune them and focus them more before we can continue to talk i think when it comes them. right down to it emotion falls under that it factor that you described earlier um, that's the thing that almost no one can predict. Yes, you can try to imitate an emotion, such as, for instance, from Lay Sleep, beautiful song, very sad, very sweet, beautiful love duet, but nevertheless, I, I didn't feel anything. I can't explain why. Or the, I can't explain why I didn't feel anything. Right. It, it, it should have fit. It should have worked. Right. Or take, why didn't it? Take the id factor as it, as it is by itself. You know, one of the trigger tracks I did a while back for fun, which is very generic, broad term, I used Blur's song too, a track that, in its essence, is fairly formulaic as far as rock goes. But because it's short, and the lyrics are kind of very simple, and it and it hits you very powerfully, it's just this fun track because it has that it factor that, just it's the woohoo. Yeah, but <laughs> but I'm just but I'm just saying there there are songs that that don't and always fit and on needles but they don't always fit this intelligence or this creativity sometimes it's something else that you can't even quite explain like sci fit fit that very well as well i mean it helped that also it went viral due to the video which was very funny and colorful 
you know, I think it has and a lot of it has to, has to do with the, the societal wave of the moment. Yeah. And I think uh, Fun and many other bands have hit that with their whole woohoo style. Right. Everybody, and, everybody loves an anthem. Right. They, they just they 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 know the anthem. They understood it. That's strategic in my in my definition here. Not necessarily intelligence. They know it's popular. They used it. It worked. Right. Well, and also, I mean, it would be a completely separate topic just to discuss the societal waves of the decades and what was popular because of those those hash marks. I'd love to tackle that at some point. Yeah. No, I mean, speaking society specifically would be very important to tackle, I think. All right. I think that about does it. Yeah, I think we're, we're going to start wrapping things up. Um, Write these things down, Steve. He's the only one that keeps notes around here. <laughs> yeah, I got a list. It's growing. Our to-do pile. A massive to-do pile. Um, um, I'm very happy to announce that next week, um, as I had said earlier, our guest will be Hazel Honeysuckle. Um, and uh, before we get to our spam of the week, I just want to tell everyone the album that she's going to be bringing with her. Something that she found, um, I think when she, she had said, and she'll tell the story, uh, when she was visiting family, she was looking in one of the wonderful CD discount racks which sometimes have gold, and she found the champagne music of Lawrence Welk by Lawrence Welk. And she's going to be bringing that next week, which I think is going to be a lot of fun because I have no idea what champagne music is or why I'm whispering. Me neither. But <laughs> on both counts. No one knows, And I'm not going to try to figure it out either. But no I'm, one understands, man. But I'm interested to see what this is, so we have that to look forward to. To next week, um, Steve, do you have another uh, fan email for this yeah, week? Yes, who's email. our fan this week? Actually, wait, email first. Oh yeah, you don't want to spoil it, do you? No. <laughs> Gotta is it Gotta bags? I'm not telling you. I'm no. not telling. Buy Viagra. Viagra, 100 milligrams. ViagraNadDirectly.com/slash Viagra, 200 milligrams. Buy Viagra. Buy it. That's by Snorgadar. <laughs> Wait. What? Snorgador. <laughs> what? What's a Snorgador? I don't know. It sounds like a dinosaur. I kind of want to find out. No, it doesn't sound like... It sounds like it's one like of the giant... The Fantastopotamus. Mammalian monsters that the arose after the dinosaurs. Hippopotamus versus rhinoceros. <laughs> Snorgador. The only natural predator of the woolly mammoth. He sounds like um, Jan Saunders' sidekick. I'm going to fuck. I'm going to stab. No, Jan Saunders' trusty, uh, trusty beast. I'm holding a knife. I don't know why they're poking the bear here, but I'm holding a knife. Anyway, because um, it's fun. We're just going to ignore that that email even happened and move forward. Uh, we always do. So we do have uh, we do have Hazel Honeysuckle coming on next week, and we have um, some other guests coming up next month as well, which I'm excited to start scheduling. Um, but but I, but I'm definitely looking forward to doing this champagne music record because it sounds different. It sounds bubbly. Yeah, it should be fun. It's joke. Cause uh, of the bubbles and champagne. But um, is it J-pop though, right? What J-pop? No, that. No, this is not J-pop. This is this is this is, eighties music, but it's not oh. like. But this it's is standard. older than me. Yeah. Oh, so we're gonna actually do our first retro album. Yeah. Finally. Well, Jeez. because it's being brought on by a guest, but yes. Yeah, this is older than you. Thank God for guests. Well, nothing stopped us from doing retro albums. Mm-hmm. We each get our own pick every week, except for. Uh, so, we're gonna do Hazel's album next week because she's our guest. Steve is gonna be the pick after that, and then after Steve picks, we're gonna do an album nobody wants to do. 
Trace. Our, fir- our first Trey. It's T R E. Yeah. Our first. Oh, my bad. Our no, first Trey. No pick. It's oh, so we're so discouraged. Nobody wants to pick it. Spanish, Spanish, French. What? We've had all picks. We've never Us had twat. a no pick. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But um. But but let's uh wrap it up. So um, of course donate. Blah blah blah. All that stuff. I'm too smart. Donate. Email. Actually. Tweet. Toot. Whatever, whatever it is you kids do nowadays. Um, we seem to be experiencing some difficulty <laughs> with the iTunes page, but you can still find us on our archive on the website, crashcords.com, so you can go there for now until I figure out that problem. Um, iTunes half the time seems like it's more trouble than it's worth. Um, Steve, you want to sign us off this week? All right. Music is life, and life is good. <laughs>